1: Tony Kynaston from the QAV Investing Podcast, you might uh, remember from a previous episode. Now, in our discussions, we started talking about LICs, and Tony is a big fan of LICs. G'day, Tony. How's it going? Hi, Phil. I realize we haven't spoken much about LICs, which are listed investment companies, and we've had plenty of listeners ask, what is an LIC? So let's get started and talk about what's the difference between
0: an ETF and an LIC. They're both traded on the stock exchange, and they're both basically a fund and and so there's different types of funds there's index funds there's managed funds there's people who are trying to beat the market with t- particular funds there's niche funds investing in property or gold or whatever so you can basically buy an ETF or an investment company to suit whatever you're trying to do the reason that the, there's a big difference between ETFs and LICs in that in the LIC side when the fund manager launched the listed investment company, they raised all their money beforehand and they don't add to that money as you buy and sell shares in the company. That money stays invested and it, and it grows or drops according to how they invest. On the ETF side, they list on the share market, but then every time someone buys a share, they're adding to the fund that's invested. And every time they sell a share, the fund manager has to sell some underlying assets and pay out the person who's exiting.
1: Let, let's look at the, the gold ETF. I think we started talking yeah. about this a while ago, but the gold ETF, when you buy a unit in a gold ETF, there's a vault in London and someone's shoveling a bit more gold into it, yeah. in most cases, in it, some cases. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when you sell your units in the ETF, mm-hmm. that little bit of gold gets taken out of that vault. Correct,
0: yeah, that's how it should work.
1: That's, so that's an open-ended, that's how an open-ended ETF it works. Is, that's the yeah. idea?
0: And there's, a, there's another complication in that some people don't, ever own the physical asset of gold, but the ETF owns futures on the London Metal Exchange or something similar, uh, which track the gold price. Mm-hmm. And so don't don't be fooled into thinking that you're actually buying gold if you're invested in what's called a synthetic ETF. You're, you're buying their trading of options and futures on, on the metals exchange. Okay, that
1: might be getting a bit complex, sure. but however, that does speak
0: to the point that someone who is looking at buying anything, mm-hmm.
1: ETF, LIC, whatever, mm-hmm. exactly what is being invested in correct because you might feel safe about one way of doing something but not the other correct yeah Yeah.
0: and so you're getting back to the differences so listed investment companies are closed funds and etfs are open funds and i think there's a risk in etfs which i don't think has been highlighted enough in the market and i'm not saying it's going to be a catastrophic risk but you need to know about this before you put your money into it and that is that like i said before the etfs if you want to sell your shares have to sell Let's say it's shares. Say it's an index fund, an index ETF.
1: Well, let, let's say it's an ASX 200 ETF, which right. is the most common one that we would be talking about. And they're going to own the top 200 shares on the Australian Stock Exchange right? in proportion to how they appear. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah.
0: And that's how an index fund works. So they hold the basket of shares. And again, bear in mind, some index ETFs don't own the underlying shares. They own options and futures on the ASX 200 as a number going for wow (laughs) i didn't realize that (laughs) so that a synthetic etf and then there's the other sort which actually own the shares underneath and i think the risk in that kind of structure is that it's great when it's going up because if i if i buy a share in that asx 200 etf they'll trot off and buy some shares in bhp and they'll buy shares in rio and banks and that that's how they use my money but then if say so the market turns down which it will and does and say it drops precipitously 20 or 25 percent a lot of people who are invested in those funds are going to get nervous and they're going to want to sell their shares in that etf the only way that the manager of that etf can get their money back to you is if they sell the underlying shares in BHP and bhp in the banks and the other members of the asx 200 so you get this feedback loop where bhp and the banks are dropping anyway but then there's even more downward pressure because the index etfs have to sell BHP and the banks to fund the person leaving the fund. That's different to how a listed investment company works. So a, a listed investment company is what's called a closed fund. So if, if they float with $100 million, that $100 million gets invested. And if the market drops 25% and the fund manager decides to ride it out, it stays there. If I want to sell my share, I've got to find a buyer on the share market who wants to buy it off me. So just
1: that one unit of the Correct. listed so it, investment company?
0: So it's it's the shares which are traded, not the underlying assets. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, probably the biggest difference between ETFs and listed investment companies. There is another dimension for listed investment companies, which occurs because of that nature, and that is that I can buy shares in the LIC for more or less than what the underlying fund is worth, and that gets reported every month on the ASX. All of the all the listed investment companies have to tell the ASX what their NTA their net tangible assets are, which is basically what the value of all their investments is worth and if it 's a fund of shares that 's pretty easy to do because they just at the end of the month i 'll say well i 've got this much bhP in my fund, and it 's worth this much and so my fund overall is worth x dollars divided by the number of shares on issue, my fund 's worth a dollar or my my NTA is a dollar. But in some instances, I can go and buy that listed investment company at 90 cents in the dollar, right? Or I could be asked to, to buy it at $1. twenty when it's worth a dollar. So one thing to be aware of with listed investment companies is what their NTA is. And it's readily available by Googling. Yeah, you can just yeah, have a yeah, look X. at that. That's
1: very, it, an easy figure to find, isn't it? It is, yeah. Mm.
0: But that's a great opportunity if you're an, a, a share market investor and you want to sort of dip your toe into doing it yourself, is every month you can Google listed investment company reports and I know Morningstar has one and it will tell you what the NTA is is at the end of last month and what the share price was and whether the LIC is trading above or below its value and being an investor I always want to pay less than what I think something's worth and so from time to time I'll think well that's a listed investment company that I know is going to be around for a long time and I trust the management and it's selling at a discount I'll buy some and when it trades up to its discount or over its discount I'll sell it and that's kind of a nice way to, to get into the share market as an investor because you're doing a valuation, or it's being done for you quite easily in the reports, but you're learning to say, okay, I'm, I can actually buy a dollar's worth of investments for 80 cents or 70 cents or 90 cents and wait till it gets up to a dollar or over a dollar and I can sell it again and make money.
1: And there's all sorts of different kinds of LICs, aren't there?
0: There are, yeah. So, so you've
1: got, You're not necessarily just going to be buying one philosophy. Across the range of LICs, no, there's lots.
0: Yeah, Um, and and they, I don't know if they get right. I guess they do get down into the sort of niches that ETFs do about gold and things like that. But but generally they're around ASX companies, and they're either trying to track the index, like some of the big ones, or they're trying to beat the index if they're an active management fund, or they're focused on global shares. So there's all there's hundreds of them around. Mm -hmm. The the ones that I I put friends and if a friend and family member comes to me and says what should i do with my investments i'll say go and look at some of the big three and there's probably you know maybe a big six to look at but generally some of the big the big lics which are more index oriented tend to trade at their nta so you're spending a dollar and getting a dollar and then going forward you're getting the market index movement and so things like australian foundation investment has been around for a hundred years and the, the benefit of of Buying into a listed investment company like that is their their fees are so low. They they don't they don't call them fees because they don't charge fees. They call it the management expense ratio, which is the MER, which is the cost of running the fund, and that I think it's around like 0.15 of a percent at the moment. Wow. Yeah. Man. So you can basically go out buy quality managers who are buying the largest stocks in the index and trying to get the index return for a dollar. And get a dollar's worth of those underlying shares, and you're paying point one five of one percent every year in fee. So bugger all, and uh, you get the dividends from the investments that they hold. They pass them through, so you're getting a good yield, and you're getting market return.
1: And that's um, that's quite comparable to the fees in an ETF, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm. right. Yeah, they're both very
0: low. Yeah, again, it depends on the listed investment company or the ETF. Uh, you know, someone like Jeff Wilson and his fees, he charges. Uh, management fee and performance fee so he's starting to pay a lot more and he's he's banking on beating the index mm-hmm. over time and also I think in his case paying a high yield so he's he's his stable of listed investment companies is quite attractive to retirees who you know he I think he generally yields in his main fund about 6 or 7% as yep. a dividend but it's it's you don't always get to buy his listed investment company at a dollar for a dollar's worth of assets. I think he's trading about 15% above that at the moment. But there's been times when I bought his his, uh, listed investment companies when they were trading at 70 cents in the dollar for their assets, like after the GFC. And then you just wait for it to regression to the mean, we call it. So you wait for the the investors to get confident again and to buy that uh, listed investment company. And eventually the share price gets back up to the the net tangible asset position.
1: So how does it um, fit into your QAV, QAV philosophy? It doesn't. This is just a separate, totally o- separate. Occasionally,
0: well, occasionally a listed investment company will meet my QAV checklist. Mm-hmm. It's oh, I guess it's no rarer than any other company, but most times they don't. So I, I'm not saying I don't buy them on that basis, but generally I'm, I'm looking at the net tangible assets. Mm-hmm. And let me talk a little bit about what I call the or the investing ladder. So I think there's kind of four steps for anybody who wants to get into the share market. And the first step, I think, is is investing in index funds. So that's the simplest and easiest way of doing it, either via ETFs or listed investment companies. I would buy listed investment companies because they're closed-end funds. Generally, a big index fund, though, will probably trade around its NTA. You don't get oftentimes the big movements either side, but that's fine. So if you're the kind of person who's busy with their life, has some money to invest, is happy to get market return then do that. That's the first step on the investing ladder. And and I kind of equate that with people who buy their own house. Most people, you know, at some stage have made an investment in, in a house. They understand that I'm buying something for the long term. Uh, I'm going to get um, the sort of property market return generally over the years, and I'm, I put a fair bit of money into it. But once it's done, I move on with my life. And that's a bit like putting your money into a, a listed investment company that hugs the index. That's the first step. The second step in the investing ladder is uh, looking at the at the discounts and, and uh, sometimes the, the overages for the uh, the price against the NTA and buying them when they're undervalued and waiting for them to, to climb back up to their NTA price. And that's like the second step on the ladder. So I'm starting to understand how to value a company and I'm starting to look for undervalued companies and buy those. That's the second step. The third step and again, if you were doing that, I'd stick to the larger index known funds because sometimes ETFs and, and listed investment companies can trade at a discount for a very good reason. You know, they might be shorting the market at the wrong time, for example. And so the the reason they're trading below their NTA is that people think their assets are going to go down. So stick with the big the big ones. And and again the the, the Morningstar listed investment company report lists the market capitalization of all the listed investment companies in it, and you can see what the big ones are. The third step is to realise that if I'm buying an index fund, I'm basically only buying about 20 or 30 stocks on the share market. And I think from memory, something like 70% of the ASX 200 by market cap is in the top 20 stocks. So if you focus on those top 20 stocks and start to get an idea for yourself about the ones you wanted to invest in or not, you can put together your own index fund. Well, you can put together your own index fund anyway. You can just go and buy the top 20 stocks every year. And as... And, and check it either monthly or on an annual basis uh, as one drops off the ASX 20, sell it, and as one comes in, buy it. So you, you're basically doing your own index fund investing, um, but you're not paying any fees, and you're doing it yourself. Apart from the brokerage of Apart out. from the brokerage of, of yeah. buying in and out. But if you're using CommShare or e or something like that, it's a fairly low sort of cost. So that's a low-cost index fund. And step four on the ladder is saying, hang on, I'm buying 20 stocks, I really don't think the banks are going to, going to add to that index, or I really don't think that um, Woolworths is going to add to that, or whatever the stock is. Start to take a start to take an opinion about which of those twenty stocks are going to go up, and just buy those. And if you sort of step up that that those four rungs, you kind of become an investor at the end. You've done it just on the index on maybe twenty stocks, but you've sort of learned as you go. Mm-hmm. And and I would say if you do that. You can then go on and say, okay, let's look at the other two and a half thousand stocks on the share market and start to form opinions about whether they're investable or not. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently, Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home, but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big-game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: You're listening to Tony Kynaston. Tony is a multimillionaire professional investor. Thanks to the checklist system he's developed, called QAV quality at value, the average return on his portfolio over the last 20 years has been nearly 20% per annum. That's twice the return of the ASX 200. Tony's knowledge and calm analysis takes the guesswork out of share market investing, and best of all, it removes the trauma. Fast-track your investing knowledge. Use the coupon code SFB for a 20% discount on monthly or annual plans. That's at qavpodcast.com.au. This might be the best investment you'll ever make. That's qavpodcast.com.au and use the coupon code SFB for that 20% discount. Okay, let's have a look at some more of the um, LICs. Uh, One of the other big, you mentioned AFIC before. It's AFIC, it's usually known as, isn't it?
0: Yeah, AF, yeah, AFI is the code and yeah. AFIC is the name, Australian Foundation Investment. And that's Company. very much
1: a it's, a, an, a it's an old LIC and lots yeah. of um, lots of retirees have depended on it for a long oh, time. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's been
0: around it may have been around for as long as the stock market. It's been around yeah. for a long time. And it used to be associated with a stockbroking firm called JB Weir. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think JB Weir was bought out by National Bank or something a while ago, but basically the board of, of Australian Foundation Investors is blue chip um uh, stockbrokers, mm-hmm. and they're really there just to try and get the index and to provide a way of, in the industry it's called widows and orphans, to safely invest in the share market.
1: Yep. And Argo's another one as well, isn't Argo it? Argo's
0: is another one as well. One of the older ones, yeah. Yep. Uh, there's Milton, which is a large one. It's not quite as old, but it's a, it's a big one too. And they all, they do slightly different things. Some, some of them will try and gain a slight advantage over the index. They might write some options um, to try and boost their returns. But mostly, those big ones will try and keep a portfolio which equates to the the, the largest stocks on the market. So we have, we haven't really covered options on uh, the podcast. No. I think what they do, and, and I, I really am speaking from ignorance here. Yeah, I think what they do, what some of them do, is they'd say, "Well, look, we've we've invested in the underlying shares in the ASX 200. Let's also buy some options about the share market going up, and and make and some options about the share market going down as a bit of a hedge to that larger mm-hmm. portfolio." And they try and, they try and um, maybe tweak out a bit more performance than the index by doing that. But yeah. I, I'm not an expert on that. All, all I can think of is, uh, I think Warren Buffett said if he ever leveraged the Berkshire Hathaway, he would have been bankrupted twice. So that's always in the back of my mind when people talk about <laughs> options and leverage and things like that.
1: Okay, so look, um, one of the other ones, that the LICs, that I've always been interested in because I've walked down Pitt Street more and seen that it's not there anymore, but um, WH and Sol patents and chemists, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. and everyone thinks of them as an old chemist shop that's mm-hmm. been there for, you know, almost since colonisation here in, mm-hmm. in Australia but they're also in
0: LIC as well they are yeah Solpats so that's mm-hmm. been around for a long time too and it's SOL drawn, SOL's
1: the code I correct. Yeah,
0: it's run by I think the chap's name Robert Milner so he used to run the chemist, and his, his family ran the chemist, and now they uh, they focus on their investment fund so I think the history of it is that they made lots of money out of their chemists and they had to do something with it. So they started to invest in the share market. That grew and grew and they they sort of decided to float it and make it available to other people as well to invest alongside them. So that's someone who's done well. He's a, uh, from what I understand, he's a big fan of Warren Buffett and follows the general principles of, of quality and value investing as well.
1: I think they just uh, sold that property in uh, Pitt Street I'll as that. <laughs> well. I think it just eventually became so valuable that uh, right. um, you know, tra-
0: tradition took a back seat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not that familiar with sole patents. Yeah. Sorry.
1: I think I just think for, from memory that they um, they own a large holding in uh, TPG, so they've got tele- telecommunications, okay. mm-hmm. and Whitehaven Coal, I believe. They're coal yeah, investors they, as well.
0: They, were co- they are coal investors because I know that one of their biggest shareholdings was spun out, and it's called New Hope Coal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, that's now listed separately on the stock market.
1: Oh, it's New Hope. It's not Whitehaven. Yes, yeah, New Hope. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I understand. yeah. Okay. Have we got any other favourite LICs you'd like to talk about?
0: Yeah. So uh, three. Mm-hmm. We spoke about Wilson Asset Management before, so that's Jeff Wilson's core offering, uh, and again, he's he's trying to buy undervalued stocks. Uh, so he's he's valuing shares on the share market, trying to find ones he calls it which have a catalyst. So he, he might find that something's undervalued, but he's looking for a catalyst, an event that might happen to re-rate the stock. And so he goes through a process of, of doing that. And he's had great performance. I think I think the assets in his fund have grown something like 17 or 18% per annum over a long period of time. And It was, it was funny. I remember buying into Wilson Asset Management uh, 20 years ago or more, and he's always been great at his communications. And he came down to Melbourne, where I used to live, And uh, the AGM, I think there was like 10 of us there, and he he spoke to us. And when you and I last met, I was going to the Wilson Asset Management AGM at the Western in Sydney, and there was like, I'd say, over a 1,000 people there, probably 2,000 people there. So it's just grown and grown and grown over the years. So there's Wilson Asset Management, and again, I'd be paying very careful attention to its Discount or overage to its net net tangible asset before I invested in that. But I have gone in and out of wham over the years and I keep a very small shareholding of about 200 shares just to receive their weekly emails and go along to their presentations and things. Um, But I'd be happy to buy back into that when it was trading at a discount again. Another one I want to mention is called Hearts and Minds. So if anyone was interested in investing, they would have realised that recently there was a thing called the Soane Hearts and Minds Conference on in sydney and that's where the victor chang institute has uh, raises money by getting fund managers to come along and give their give their uh their hot tips on uh, one stock that uh, people could invest in and that's become uh something which is patronized well and i think the tickets sell for about two or three thousand dollars and people in the funds management industry go along to get these hot tips before other people but in the last year or two uh, someone set up a fund, a listed investment company, to take these tips and invest in it. And some of them are around the world, and some of them are local, and some of them are shorts, and some of them are buys. Uh, and have this listed investment company hold those tips until the next conference. And so that's that's one again that. Um,
1: and that, uh, I think I believe it's a charity as well. A lot of the uh, the fees go into charities. Correct. Is that correct? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of leads into the third one, which is um, the code is FGX, and it's another one offered by Jeff Wilson, but it's called the, the Future Generation Fund. And that's where he has uh, adopted the same methodology that he normally adopts in his other funds, but he gets fund managers to come in and donate their fees to charity. So uh, there's no performance fees on that fund. It all gets donated to charity, and, and they've raised millions of dollars over the years for charity by doing that, uh, as well as having, having a well-performing fund investment company
1: do you have any thoughts about ethical investments it's something that people are so interested in these days
0: it is yeah and and again it comes down to style so years ago my stockbroker said to me i love ethical investing because i can take out the four or five bad stocks on the share market and basically have an index fund and charge twice the fees (laughs) and that's very unethical so you've got to be always careful about these things Um, But again, and I think with ethical investing, you've got to dive into it a bit and see what kind of fund it is because there's negative screens and positive screens. So there's negative screens, which are like, well, we just just won't invest in companies that do what we think are unethical things, but we'll invest in the rest of the market. And there's positive screens where the fund is set up just to invest in things which are doing good in terms of ethical standards, whether it's environmental or whatever else. Um, you know, maybe their uh medical research, for example, or something. So there's two two different types there. Um, I'm agnostic because, I, as an investor, I'm again I'm saying, well, is that is that fund worth investing in? Is it trading at less than its net tangible assets, or is the fund going to come through my checklist score and be something that I'm, I'm prepared to invest in? So I don't tend to invest in them, but I'm not saying. I wouldn't. I'm mm-hmm. not saying people shouldn't, but they've just got to keep their eyes open. It's an ex, for you, it's an extra level of complexity, I guess. Well, yes and no. It's, um, it's an extra level of fees. It's <laughs> always that. Yeah. Uh, and if you think about it, um, somebody who's doing a positive screen is spending a lot of time and effort investigating companies, so they're going to charge a fee for that, which is quite valid. And if that's your thing, pay the fees. But as an investor... Uh, I'd rather not pay the fees and do it myself. Mm. So again, I, I could put together a portfolio for myself, which I only invested in things like wind energy and uh, medical research and all those kinds of things. And if I was so motivated to do that, I could do it. Whether I could do that and still be a good value investor is debatable because, it, as you say, if people are interested in it, then probably the price on wind farm companies is going to be above what I think it's worth. So mm-hmm. uh, there's there's that. And also, too, being a being a value investor makes you a bit of a contrarian investor. So sometimes, you know, the things which are cheapest in the market are cheap because the ethical investors are selling them. So like coal companies, for example. And then you have to make up your own mind about whether you wanted to invest in coal companies or not. But they, but they certainly, uh, at the moment, appear on my list of things to buy because they're, you know, a bit beaten down by the market. Using the metric of net tangible assets behind an LIC...
1: You found this to be a, a decent way for them making some good returns over the
0: yes the, your period of investing. I have yeah yeah uh, and and basically you're dealing with the same LICS all the time so you get to know them and I'd be looking at something which was at least fifteen percent below net tangible assets before I bought it and sometimes they get well above that or well below that uh, and I'd be either selling out when they reach NTA or just waiting to see if they go above NTA and holding on until I get ten or twenty percent above NTA and and that. If that happens in over a reasonable time frame, you're getting thirty to forty percent returns, uh, maybe over a year or two, as the market sorts itself out.
1: Are there LS, LICs that you tend
0: to avoid on a regular basis? Uh, the high fee paying ones. Yeah, so I wouldn't go into those. Uh, the ones which are, are, are newer. Although Hearts and Minds is, is new, but I, I still... So you're looking for in. for
1: um, ones that have been around for a long time That yes. and that's kind of a level of trust... Yes, that's right. ...is available because they have been there for that, that that's long? That's right, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, exactly. And uh, I think, you know, if, if you're new to this game, then certainly stick around those big market cap LICs that have been around for a long time. And you can find out this
1: information pretty um, quickly and
0: easily. Yeah, Google Morningstar Listed investment Investment Company Report... Um, they'll have the market cap for them. They'll have the NTA discounts. Just a couple of things on that. They'll they'll provide you with two discount columns. One is called the pre-tax NTA discount, and one's called the post-tax NTA discount. The difference between those two columns is basically what the fund is worth. If you had to if if you if you just value the underlying shares now, that's the pre-tax one. And if you had to sell everything now, that's the post-tax one because you'd, you'd be paying capital gains tax on those shares. Mostly, I would focus on the pre-tax column because if I'm buying Australian Foundation Investment or a big uh, LIC that that is hugging the index, they're going to buy and hold for years and not have to sell their their shares, so they're not paying much in capital gains tax. So the pre-tax NTAs, the more the the one that I focus on. That's different for you know I know Jeff Lawson has a fund called the Wilson Active Fund. And they're trading all the time, so you need to look at the post-tax NTA with that one because they're, they're getting capital gains tax uh, that needs to be paid during the year. So horses for courses, but, but for the large leaks that, um, that hug the index, go for the pre-tax NTA column.
1: Great, Tony. Thank you very much for joining us again. That's all
0: right. Yeah, well, um, hopefully like that helps, and uh, it's great that people are sort of learning about this stuff, and, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that more people can do it for themselves and avoid fees and become comfortable uh, investing. Shares for Beginners is for information
1: and educational purposes only.
0: It isn't financial advice
1: and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows even when the money won't.